Thank you, Tim, for that prayer supplication. And as you turn in your Bible, making your way back to 1 John, you might want to stop off in the book of Romans briefly. I'll read a passage there before we move on back to the primary text. You know, when anybody's preaching from, teaching from the 1 Corinthians 13, you always think of the love chapter, and you always think about love, and it is. The essence of that chapter is about the qualities of, of true Christian love. But I love the way that the Apostle Paul, as he's concluding that chapter 13 of, of 1 Corinthians, he says, So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest is love. We're not going to focus on love today, though we can always say something about love and God's love and our love for the Lord and love for one another. But I want to focus on the subject of hope. In fact, the title of the message this morning is The Hope, the hope That Purges and Perseveres. And we'll, we'll look at that. And I want to direct your attention, as I just pointed out, first to Romans chapter 8. And we'll look at chapter 8, verse 22. And you probably think, well, we just walked through Romans 8, and we're going to do it again. That was in our responsive reading. Look at verse 22 in chapter 8 of Romans. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And not only they, but we also who have, have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Look at verse 24. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he has seen or for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. The hope that perseveres and the hope that purges. Tim alluded in preparation to the prayer of supplication to that line from the popular hymn, Holy, 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 about the clouds of darkness. And the world in which we live, certainly very much like the world of centuries past, has had its episodes in times of apparent spiritual darkness. And, and as we see the, the, the clouds of sinful spiritual darkness enshrouding the world in which we live in the midst of the spread of Islam and other false religions around the world luring millions upon millions of people unsuspectingly into an absolutely dead and falseless faith tradition with the increase of persecution of believers around the world as as again, Tim has graciously prayed for in our prayer supplication with the growing tide of antagonism towards biblical Christianity that we are experiencing right now in this 21st century. I dare say that we would all say it looks pretty dark out there. It almost seems somewhat dismal. 
But as dark and dismal as it appears to us today, take heart, brothers and sisters, it was just as dark to those early first century Christians in the Roman Empire under some of the antagonistic forces that they were encountering at that time. We as Christians, in the midst of the darkness that we find ourselves, the times in which we find ourselves, we have a hope. A wonderful, blessed hope. A divinely given hope. A hope unlike anything that those of the world have. Only children of God possess this wonderful gift of hope. And John, as he continues in his epistle, first epistle, in chapter 2, we're going to be looking at some of the sanctifying effects of this blessed hope that you and I have, not just on Sunday. It's not just when we have a revival meeting. It's not just when you go to an evangelistic gathering and the, there's a high emotionalism and enthusiasm and optimism. It's every day. It's when you're sitting in that doctor's office and he's laying a, a dismal diagnosis on you or on someone you love. It's when you see brokenness and fragmentation come into a family. It's when you see the, the atrocities that go on as a result of, of, of crime in our, in our society. Listen, every day you and I wake up and every night we lay our heads on the pillow, we do so under the umbrella of this wonderful Hope. And so we begin in chapter 2 and verse 28. And I want us to focus our attention there as we talk about this hope that the true believer has. And I emphasize the true believer. Superficial believers, those who make claim to be Christians, who go through the motions of Christianity, and of course certainly those who have rejected Christianity and rejected the claims of Christ, do not have this hope. Oh, they may say they have hope, but it's not the hope that you and I enjoy that comes purely through our faith relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you'll notice in verse 28 of chapter 2 that John begins, and now, and it's, it's, it's emphasized, if you will, an emphatic participle, if you will. John's drawing attention to this point. It's as if to say, all right, now we're going to go in a different direction. There's a new thought. In fact, some commentaries have suggested that chapter 3 actually would begin here. But all the Bibles have been printed, and this is under chapter 22. We're so accustomed to that. But the fact is, this is where John says, listen, this is a new thought. And you'll notice that he uses this term of endearment that we've seen that is customary of John in referring to fellow believers as little children. John's on up in age at this time, probably around 90 years old, and he's a senior, and, and he's an elder in the church, if you will, and therefore he senses a responsibility that he has to impart truth to these new Christians and those younger in the faith that are following behind him and he says, and now little children abide in him that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. 
If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Speaking of Christ. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And if you allow me to walk you back through that section of those passages, I want you to see the sanctifying, and I emphasize sanctifying. We have been justified by our faith, by the grace of God, through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way to be justified and to be saved. And so Paul is, I mean, John is writing to those who have already experienced justification, but just like you and me, every day are being transformed and growing and maturing in our likeness to Christ. And this blessed hope that he is speaking of here, that Paul spoke of back in Romans chapter 8 that we saw, and in 1 Corinthians 13, this blessed hope that is ours has an effect upon our daily lives. And one of the first sanctifying effects is it anchors our faith in the Lord's imminent return. It anchors our faith in the Lord's imminent return. Return. Go back to verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Listen to the writings or the words of the writer of Hebrews in chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19. He says, This hope. We have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus Christ is our ultimate superior high priest. There's never been one. He's not following in the lineage of other descendants of Levi. He is himself the ultimate high priest. How do we know that? Because we know that as the scripture says there in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19, that he has entered on our behalf into the very presence, and in my scripture it's capitalized P, meaning into the very holy, perfect presence of God. And our great high priest, Jesus Christ, has done that for us. It was symbolized on the day of his crucifixion when he gave up his spirit into the hands of God, having completed his redemptive mission here on earth. And you'll recall that there in the Holy of Holies, in the temple in Jerusalem, the curtain separating the people from God, a very thick and very tall, elaborate curtain was rent, not from the bottom up, but from the top down, as if only the divine could separate the curtain and say, come into the presence of God. And Jesus has done that. And he says this hope anchors our soul and helps us to stand firm in our faith. 
in the return of Jesus Christ. Every day, you and I should live with the awareness that Jesus could come today. We know that the scripture teaches that in the twinkling of an eye, at the shout of the uh, voice from heaven and the archangel blows that trumpet and, and in an instant those of us who are here and remain will be caught up with those who are asleep, their bodies in the grave, their souls there in heaven and in an instant we'll be in his presence. Listen, we are uncertain about when he will return so beware of the date setters. Beware of those who work out numerical formulas and say, oh, next September, you know, the 25th, you know, 2019, that's when Jesus is coming again. No, he's not. Nobody knows. The Son made it clear. Jesus made it clear. No, we're uncertain about when he's going to return. But ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, we can be assured every day you wake up, he is coming. And there's nothing that will prevent Jesus Christ from coming again and to receive those of us who are his children and who are waiting on him. And so daily we abide with him. Every day we, we, we live in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that is enhanced. Enhanced, made stronger, made more pure, made more authentic by the reality that before you say goodnight, at the end of that day, you may be in the presence of the Lord. We don't know when, but we know that he is indeed coming again. So this wonderful hope anchors our faith in the Lord's imminent, and I emphasize imminent, return. But also this wonderful believer's hope, the true believer's hope, not only anchors our faith, but it stimulates righteous living in the true believer. Knowing that Jesus is coming again. Living in this wonderful awareness of, of, of this blessed hope that he's coming again one day stimulates righteous living in the lives of those who are true believers. Look with me there at verse 29. Jesus, uh, John says, If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Duh. We are righteous not because we do works, we're not righteous because of our biological lineage. We're not righteous by our religious rituals. We are righteous, made righteous, made right with God through our relationship with Jesus Christ. And the awareness that he is coming again should indeed transform us day by day by day. And it is demonstrated through the righteousness, the righteousness that is a part of our daily life. Don't come to church and get pious and act all religious so as to impress other people and let them think that you're righteous on Sunday. Ladies and gentlemen, you better be righteous on Monday afternoon or on your worst day at work, at school, or when the kids aren't behaving or when you're feeling terrible. Listen, there's no time off from righteousness. The Apostle Paul told the, the Christians at Rome in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that you offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. For this is our reasonable service. In other words, this is who we are. Living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God every day. And he said, stop being conformed to this world. Stop it. 
Stop trying to imitate popular TV characters or sports figures or rich tycoons. That's not who you are. Stop trying to conform to this world, but instead, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That's who the people of God are. We are righteous people. And that goes every day. And that righteousness is stimulated by the awareness that at any time, Jesus could come again. Let me tell you something. Righteousness is not a spiritual discipline, but it's a divine characteristic. Do you get that? It's not a spirit. You don't have to work towards righteousness. Just be. Doing comes out of being. We learned that in our Christian growth group when we talked about walking in the Spirit of the Lord. You don't have to go out there and exert a lot of effort and go through rituals and, and memorize all these texts and everything in order to be righteous. Just allow the Spirit of God to display the righteousness of Christ in you. On the other hand, if you claim to be a Christian and people look at your life and they don't see evidence of righteousness, they have every reason, if they know the Scripture, to question whether or not you are truly a child of God. Because he says right there, he says, everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. This wonderful hope of the true believer, this hope that you and I possess by the grace of God, not only stimulates righteous living, but it celebrates God's great love for us. We talk about God's love. We sing about God's love. I just wonder how many of us have really sat down, shut down the computer, turned off the phone, turned off the television, and get in a nice quiet place with the Bible open before you and contemplate and meditate on the powerful, unimaginable, miraculous reality that the God of the universe who is himself perfect and holy and high and lifted up, not only does he know you, but he loves you. And oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you. And loves me. Look what John says there. In chapter 3 verse 1. Behold. As if to almost put an exclamation on it. Wow. I don't know if that was in the Aramaic or the Greek. But behold what manner of love. The Father has bestowed on us. When's the last time? When is the last time? That you were just astounded by. You were just deeply moved by. The fact that God loves you. And look how much He loves you and me. That we should be called children of God. Oh my goodness. Rebellious. Hard-headed. Christ-rejecting. Hell-bound. Sinners. And the King of the universe would dare to love someone like the Apostle Paul, then Saul of Tarsus, persecuting the early church. Or you and me, before we were graced to come to know Jesus Christ. And yet, He has made us sons of God. Later, as we walk through 1 John in chapter 4, verse 9, I like uh, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. 
where John is going on, and we're looking ahead here. He says, in this the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, understand something very, very clearly. You didn't love God first. You didn't choose Him first. Nor did I. We were walking along in our sinful, wretched, depraved state. And God, and God took the initiative to reach out to you and to me. And He didn't just whisper through an angel into your ears, oh, by the way, I love you. No, he, at, he, at a pivotal time in the history of mankind, He sent His only Son, His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, perfect. And as Colossians 2, 9 tells us that He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. When Jesus came into this world, even as a tiny baby, do you understand? He was fully God. And it's His precious only begotten Son that God sent into this world on a mission that would end in agony and death on His part, but would result in our salvation and our adoption into the family of God. You tell me, you tell me any individual that you can think of who has ever demonstrated that kind of love for you. I know the love of a mother, next Sunday we'll be celebrating motherhood, and mothers, and it's a fact, there's nothing like the love of a mother. But let me tell you something, even the love of the most dedicated and dear, saintly mother on the earth pales in comparison to the love of God for lost sinners like us. And we're all recipients of that wonderful divine love. I think about John chapter 1 verse 12, going back in this gospel where he says, and as many as received Him, to them He gave the power to become the sons of God. To those who believe upon His name. Do you understand what a wonderful privilege it is to experience the love of God? We, God's children, should relish God's incomprehensible, and it is. It's hard to wrap your mind around the wonderful love of God. Listen to chapter 3 of Ephesians. The Apostle Paul tells us beginning in verse 17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all fullness. Ladies and gentlemen, what Paul is saying, you can't even fully comprehend the love of God. You can't measure the love of God. It's too high. It's too deep. It's too wide. Oh, how He loves you and me. But you see, those who are Christian imposters, and John is writing to counter the false teachings of those heretical groups that had infiltrated the church at that time, the Gnostics and the Docetists and, and the others that were promoting a false version of Christianity. He's pointing out to them, listen, you guys, you don't even get it. You don't even know the love of God. You've never experienced the love of God. If you reject Jesus Christ in your teachings, you've rejected the love of God. 
All this blessed hope celebrates God's great love for us, but it also anticipates the day when we will be like Him. Look at verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not been yet revealed to what we shall be. But we know. Did you get that? No speculation there. No guesswork there. John wasn't saying, now the way I got it figured, and I think, and I postulate, and I hypothesize, the way I'm thinking is, <laughs> no. John says, and we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him face to face. Did you get that theme in Sandy Patty's song? We shall behold Him. We won't have to take Abraham's word for it or David or Moses' word for it. We won't have to say, Gabriel, tell us what He's like. No, brothers and sisters, hallelujah. One glorious day when the love of God towards lost sinners like us who have been adopted into His family is fully reckoned and manifested. We will be brought into His very presence and we will see Him. We will see Him. Face to face. And I love what John says. We shall be like Him. Oh, hallelujah. I pray and trust that you are yearning for and looking forward to that glorious day. You know, I think about the preacher that was preaching one time and he was all whipped up on this idea. Christ coming and says, How many of y'all well, you're ready to go to heaven. And your know, hands shot up all over that sanctuary enthusiastically. Everybody practically except one little boy about two rows back. Preacher thought, well, maybe he wasn't paying attention. I'll give it another whirl. So everybody that is uh, looking forward to going to heaven says, everybody ready to go to heaven? Raise your hand again. Everybody except the little boy. That got the best of this preacher. He looked down at that boy and said, lad, son, said, don't you want to go to heaven? He said, I sure do, preacher, but it sounds like you're getting a busload to go tonight. <laughs> he wasn't quite ready. Listen, we ought to be so enthusiastic about the return of our wonderful Lord. Listen to how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians, that very familiar passage that you're, I know, aware of. In 1, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, he says, Now this I say, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruptible or incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That doesn't excite you. Your wood's wet or something. Genuine believers yearn for the culmination, for the climactic transformation of God in our lives. That's the purpose of God, is to make us like Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul said. You know, we, we all know Romans 8, 28 for... God causes all things to work together for good to those who love the Lord and call it according to His purpose. But so many times we overlook the key verse of that chapter, I believe, in verse 29. For whom He foreknew, 
He also predestined. God selected us long before we selected Him. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. God's had a plan since the beginning of time. Before he created the first molecule in all of creation, God had a plan. He was going to not only create a race of people in his own image, knowing very well that they would fall under temptation and there would be a curse that would separate them from God, but God knew very well that he would be sending his only son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, to come as a redeemer of lost mankind. And God's purpose in doing so was that we would have the opportunity to experience his amazing grace and to exercise our faith in, in the Lord and to receive the forgiveness of God towards our sins and to be adopted into His family. But guess what? It doesn't stop there. It's like one of those wonderful, hard-to-believe commercials where you're going to buy one of those kites or, 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 or a meat cutter or something, you know, and, and says, you know, operator standing by, you know, 999, dial 900, whatever. And then they'll say, and what's more, <laughs> God's not just in the business of saving us setting us apart. But ladies and gentlemen, God's got a plan. Those that He has predestined, those that He has foreknown, He says He has already determined to make us into the very image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus comes, this blessed hope assures us not only will we be with Him, not only will we see Him, but when we see Him, we will be like Him. You said, how in the world is that possible? No amount of sanctification can turn Charlie Martin into the likeness of holy and righteous Son of God, Jesus Christ. You're right. You're right. I can't live on this earth long enough and be sanctified long enough to be like the Savior. And that's where glorification comes in. It's like that song the Henfields used to sing a long time ago. Don't judge me yet. He's still working on me. None of us are the finished product. Y'all understand that? So if you're walking around, you know, trying to put your nose up in the air and draw people's attention to you as if, hey, I have arrived. Guess what? You ought to go back and read Paul's <laughs> chapter 3 of Philippians when he says, I do not count myself, brethren, to have apprehended. He says, I'm not there. And nor are you. He's still working on me. But one glorious day, I will graduate I will graduate from sanctification. I will be whisked up towards the heights of heaven into the very presence of the Lord and something magnificent and miraculous will occur. We call it glorification because in the very presence of God, he will do the final touches of transformation. And old Charlie Martin, as you know him here on earth, will be more like Jesus, hallelujah, than he is this old sinful self. Whew, anticipate the day when we will be like Him. And then also, I want you to see that this blessed, wonderful hope that is the hope of the true believer generates in us a desire to live pure and righteous lives. You see, knowing that Jesus is coming again and living with this hope, and, and, and let me just qualify very quickly. Because when we talk about hope, the hope that we exercise, the hope that we demonstrate, oftentimes it's almost like wishful thinking. You know, I hope it'll rain today because I just planted my garden. Or, you know, I hope gas prices will come down so I can afford to drive my car again. Yeah, you know, thinking it might not rain. 
And sheets might go up with the gas instead of down. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or when I sit in the Wake Forest football stadium, I hope Wake Forest can beat Clemson today. Not. <laughs> Wishful thinking. Ladies and gentlemen, the hope that is given to us through our faith in Jesus Christ, grounded on the assurance of His coming again, and all the promise. Let me tell you something. It's a rock-solid promise. We live with the promise of God. That when He says that if we believe in Him and put our trust in Him, and we receive His grace and we exercise our faith, then we pray and ask the Lord to forgive us of our sins, and we commit to follow Him as a disciple, being obedient to the teachings of His Word from day to day in our lives. When we come to that point, and we are desperate, and we are helpless, and we are hopeful, and we turn to the only source of hope and help there is, and we cry out to God by faith and say, Lord, please save me. We do so with the hope, the assurance, the promise that He will. And knowing this generates in us a desire to live holy, pure lives. Look at verse 3. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Did you get that? And everyone, not just some, this is all or none. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. This blessed hope of the true believer is sanctification, transformation in us at work. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. If you go back there and listen to what Paul has to say in 2 Corinthians in chapter 3, verse 18. He says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of God. From glory to glory. You may not recognize it when you get up in the mirror and you look in the mirror and you may look just as handsome and beautiful as you did last Monday. No change. Or in my case, just as scary as you did last week. You know, ladies and gentlemen, oh, sometimes has it occurred to you sometimes, and I'm talking more to my senior brothers and sisters here, my, my group. Have you looked in the mirror one time and just said, yipes, ha, come here, Jan. Look, I'm getting older. And she's like, big deal. I could have told you that. <laughs> Sometimes you see those changes. Well, I like to see babies. Don't y'all? I mean, it just amazes me. And you know, and we're blessed with a fresh crop of baby boys. We'll be dedicating, or the parents will be dedicating them in just a few weeks. And you know, a baby changes so fast, don't they? Especially when you only see them like a week at a time or a month or, you know, and you look and you say, wow, I can't believe it. It's the same, you know. Look at Timothy now. Yeah, look at James. Look at Stefan. I mean, my goodness, they're not the same baby. They're changing so. But in, do you understand that with the reality of this blessed hope instilled in us, we wake up with it. We go to bed with it. 
And when we walk by faith in the Spirit of God, that God is changing us. He's changing us. You're not the same this week as you were last week. You're not the same in Christ that you were a year ago. Listen, if you're walking by the Spirit of God and you're in the Word of God and you're being sanctified by the Spirit of God, let me tell you something. You're going from one stage of glory to the next stage of glory to the next stage of glory. Let me tell you something. You are blossoming in the eyes of God. You're becoming more and more like His precious Son. Inside, you begin to exhibit the fruit of the Holy Spirit that people can observe. Hey, he's not like he used to be. I can see God sees the glory developing in us. And as we just saw in the previous passage, and that glory will be perfected one day when we shall see him and we will be like him. Praise the Lord for this blessed hope that is ours as the people of God. Let's take a moment now. I'm just going to close the message here. And, and, and I just want you to reflect upon just a moment. What God has been reminding you of. This is nothing new. This has been in the scriptures for 2,000 years. Christians have read it in about every language on the face of the earth. You've probably walked right on through this. I hope not by it. And never really stopped to think about it. Wow, that's right. I am a child of hope. The world in which I live may be hopeless and it may be going downhill and, and it is. And it is. Jesus said there is a broad way. Not the place. <laughs> There's a broad road, I should say. And on that road there are many. Oh, there are all kinds of partying Christians or people calling themselves Christians and all kinds of, uh, of false religions and all kinds of cults and, and more. And, 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 and those who are steeped in secular humanism and materialism, oh, they're riding along. It's like that, one of those lazy rivers that you go to when you get in an exotic hotel or something, just kind of laying back on a raft and no effort, just drifting along. They don't realize they're headed to, towards the Niagara Falls of, of God's judgment. So this world is hopeless. There, there is no hope for humanity. There, there's no hope for the United States of America or for that matter any of the European nations or the Asian nations. I don't care how polished the leader is. I don't care how strong the military is. I don't care how impressive the economy is. They're hopeless. Apart from faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He said it Himself in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God, but by me. Please don't take for granted the marvelous gift of the hope that is ours in Christ. No reason for a Christian to walk around. I don't care how dismal, how dark, even those in solitary confinement in the deepest, darkest prison cell in the, in the most atheistic country on the face of the earth 
They can take away their physical health. They can take away their emotional joy. But they cannot take away the hope that is in them. Because my persecuted brothers and sisters will stand one day gloriously transformed and glorified like you and me. Live in the hope. Rise above the circumstances of the world. Don't let the world pull you down. Now listen, I realize we all have bad days. We all go through painful seasons. I'm not minimizing the effects that health and circumstances can have. But there's no room for despair in the heart of a child of God because we have this glorious hope in us, in Christ. Wake up with the sunshine in your heart. I don't care if it's thundering and lightning on the outside of knowing that, hey, I'm just passing through. This earth is not my home. I'm just camping out here. Hallelujah. This body, I won't have to live in it for eternity. Thank the Lord. I've got a brand new glorified body that looks more like Jesus than looks like me. Hallelujah. Live in the wonderful hope that purges and perseveres for the saints.